Hi, this is Imagineer Chris Merritt, and you are listening to the Skull Rock Podcast. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney, with your hosts, L. John Goh and Dave Bossert. Welcome to Skull Rock Podcast, the show about all things Disney and pop culture. Every week, we take you behind the scenes for some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, what's streaming, what's in theaters, and whatever's going on in the whole multiverse of entertainment. I'm Al John Goh. I'm a musician, life ta- lifelong Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars fan, also a pop culturist. I follow these things just for you, so you don't have to. <laughs> you can email me, Al John, A-L-J-O-N, at SkullRockPodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bosser, your other pop culturist and resident troublemaker, and (laughs) welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email me at Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com. Al John. Yes. Uh, what a week. Holy oh, man. Macro. I know, right? It it seems like, you know, we, we touch base, we do these interviews with the friends that pop by, and it just goes by so quickly. Where's the time going? I, I, I'm telling you, it's, it's hard to believe we're almost at the end of March uh, 2022. Uh, it's just crazy. I know, right? I, I, I can't believe it. I can't believe we're here. And uh, how is the weather? over there in your, your neck of the woods. You're, you're you know what? I'll tell you something. We we've gone from winter to summer, uh, <laughs> it, it, you know, out here in Los Angeles, we really only have two seasons oh. and uh, you know, the weather is, is just been absolutely beautiful, sunny, you know, mid to upper seventies. I, I think uh, next week it's going to get up into the eighties and in some places in Southern California, maybe even touch the low nineties. Yeah. 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 Well, there you are, man. I, I live vicariously through your Facebook post because you're constantly doing stuff outdoors. You're, you're hanging out with the wife and the family. You're, you've got your wet, you've got your wine in your hand. You're just having fun. You know? Yes, I, yeah, wine, <laughs> wine in my hand once in a while. I don't want our listeners to think I'm a real lush. Uh, well, I don't know, but, man. I'm not but, either, but I do enjoy a good drink. <laughs> that, that's it. Uh, I have to tell you, though, you know, when, when the weather gets like this, it's just perfect weather for me to sit in the backyard with the fam mm-hmm. uh, and uh, have a fire in the outdoor fireplace and, and uh, have a nice bottle of wine. And uh, of, cl- of course, that bottle of wine is not just for me. It's split with the fam. Family. Um, <laughs> Thank hey, you for that. Uh, by the way, uh, we've got a great show again because yes. we've got we've we've got Ron Diamond, the uh, producer and curator of the animation show of shows. So we're looking forward to talking to him. Uh, he's he's a terrific animation professional. He's somebody I've known for many many years, and we're going to be talking about animated shorts yes. uh, with the Academy Awards just around the corner. In fact. I will tell you, I have already cast my ballot and I can't talk about it. No, Um, it's top secret, but I have cast my ballot uh, for the Academy Awards already. uh, And uh, I'll be curious to see how I do this year. You know, I love short animated films because they're so bite sized. It's like 
you know, I don't want to go to sleep yet. Maybe for the next 30 minutes, I'm just going to pop on over to Disney Plus and, or Netflix and watch some shorts or YouTube. And it's just great. I love to see these kind of, you know, all these different art styles that don't necessarily get reflected in the big, you know, box office style features that you see today. And, uh, you know, I love anime. I love seeing that kind of stuff take shape. So uh, I can't wait to talk to Ron about it. You know, and I got to tell you, I wish, I wish the movie theaters would run some of these shorts before their feature presentations, you know, because some of them are only four or five, six minutes long. Mm-hmm. I, I think it would be just great for people to be exposed to some of these absolutely fun and thought-provoking uh, short animated films. Hey, big studios, listen up. This is what we want. We want these little ones to run. <laughs> right? Well, <laughs> speaking, of, uh, speaking of uh, comments, uh, you do have a few different things to uh, comment on. How's that book uh, coming along your Indiegogo? Well, you know, the Indiegogo, uh, the uh, pre-order campaign for The House of the Future, Walt Disney, MIT, and Monsanto's Vision for Tomorrow uh, (laughs) is doing really well. We're actually at uh, 118%, or just on the cusp of 118% of our uh, initial goal. And uh, there's, uh, I think by the time our listeners hear this program, there's only going to be 12, 13 days left in the pre-order campaign for people to reserve their signed copy of Mm. the House of the Future book. So uh, we'll put a link into the show notes for people if they're interested. But we also got some great comments on Facebook. Okay. uh, 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 You know, for last week's show where we talked about um, the uh, True Life Adventures and yes. the Animal Kingdom Park and yes. Roy E. Disney. We had a bunch of stories and uh, we got a nice note from Spencer who said, thank you very much for discussing this topic. Uh, Spencer was actually the person who had uh, sent us a note a month or so ago mm-hmm. uh, about doing something on the True Life Adventures and the Animal uh, Kingdom Park. Yes. So you're welcome, Spencer. And thank you for the suggestion. And we would say to all of our listeners, you know, keep uh, sending in suggestions for topics. Uh, we're we're going to follow through on a lot of those. Um, and uh, I, there was another note from Amy who said, "Thanks for sharing this." Roy Disney uh, sure saved his father and uncle's company. Um, oh. Mark Waters, who we've had on the show, commented, "One one of the great honors of my career was scoring the four new True Life Adventures for Roy." Such a kind and supportive gentleman. Oh, wow, yeah. Mark is a great guy and yeah. listens to our show. Um, and, uh, you know, something, uh, there was a, a few other comments. Carla said, so awesome. Uh, Sandy, amazing experiences. So uh, thank you all for uh, commenting uh, on the show. And we're going to continue to bring you uh, weekly, if we can, uh, more great shows. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds great. And... Uh, Before we get into our Ron Diamond interview, uh, we do want to talk about our picks for the week and what we've been streaming. Dave, you've been a busy guy, as always, streaming all this great content. I I was very surprised that I was able to squeeze all this in with everything that I was doing this past week. But uh, I I, and by the way, I have one correction for our audience. Okay, I think I think last week I mentioned the tourist uh, uh, that uh, was on. I, I said it was on. 
Uh, Netflix, it was not on Netflix. It was on HBO Max. There you go. So The Tourist <laughs> with uh, Jamie uh, Dornan, uh, who is also in uh, this year's Academy-nominated film uh, Belfast. Yes. Uh, from... Uh, um, uh, so anyway, I just wanted to make sure people were aware of the tourist. It's on HBO Max. It was very good. It was really a, a wonderful uh, limited series. That's I also cool. had a chance to watch the uh, Amy Poehler uh, directed uh, documentary Lucy and Desi. Mm-hmm. And, and I have to tell you, I was I I, I love this film. It was so great, and I was glad I saw being Ricard being the Ricardos first with Harvey, uh, uh, Javier Bardam and Nicole Kidman. Right. I was glad I saw that film first. And then seeing this documentary really gives you insight into the relationship between uh, Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, uh, told through interviews, um, uh, movie footage of the two of them, and uh, photos and all of that stuff. Very well done. I really enjoyed it. Another documentary I saw, the Andy Warhol Diaries on Netflix. Now, this may not be for everybody, I have to tell you. (laughs) Right. uh, Because it's uh, it's a, I believe, a six-part documentary uh, that I wound up binge watching. And and look, I'm a fan of uh, Andy Warhol. He's he's one of the, uh, you know, the great pop artists of the 20th century. I do like his work. He does have a Disney connection, by the way. Okay. uh, Because he did um, a a series of iconic images. And one of those was um, uh, of Mickey Mouse. Mm -hmm. Uh, He also did uh, a piece that was inspired uh, by uh, the new spirit from uh, World War II uh, featuring Donald Duck. Mm. Uh, So he has a couple of Disney-related pieces uh, that he did as part of his body of work. Um, But this this documentary shows a different side of Andy Warhol as an artist. Uh, It shows him in some home movie footage, in more relaxed... uh, 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 you know, uh, atmosphere, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, you see a, a different side of him. It, you know, it is, uh, all about his diaries. Uh, and so he's talking about relationships and love interests and things like that. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, but you get to get to see him working in the factory. Uh, you get to see different facets of him that you may not have been aware of. So I did enjoy this, uh, this documentary series. Nice. Um, you want to watch something really fun? Okay. Our flag means death with uh. Uh, 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 Watiki. Oh, yeah, yeah. Taika Watiki. Taika Watiki. Yeah. And, and um, uh, 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 Dyes, is it Dyes Darby? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's Rice Darby, it's, Darby, Darby, Darby. Yes, Rye, Darby, Rye's, Darby. Rice Darby. Yes, right. Yeah, yes. I mean, this is this is hilarious. It's it's just a really fun uh, series. Uh, you know, this is from the creators of Flight of the Condor and uh, what they do in the shadows. Uh, sure, sure. Watch, Little you campy. Know, if you watched any of those, yeah. uh, really, uh, very, very fun. Yeah, uh, so here's the boilerplate it says the year is 1717. 1717, wealthy landowner Steed Bonnet 
has a midlife crisis and decides to blow up his cushy life to become a pirate. And it doesn't go so well based on a true story. And uh, yeah, it's pretty irreverent, uh, very funny. But I did see the preview for this and I'm like, wait a minute, pirates? <laughs> no, <laughs> what it, is it, this? It, it, it's ter- It's terrific. It really is fun. Oh, nice. um, and, and then I, I also watched an eight part uh, limited series on Netflix called Pieces of Her. Okay. Uh, and it stars Tony Collette, and uh, and she's you know when you see Tony Collette, she's been in so much stuff, uh, but this particular uh, limited series is about a woman pieces together her mother's dark past after a violent attack in their small town brings hidden threats and deadly secrets to light. Um, And uh, her daughter uh, is played by uh, Bella, Bella Hearthcote. Heathcote, uh, Heathcote, Heathcote, or Heathcote, excuse me, Heathcote, and she, uh, she's terrific, Uh, Tony Collette's terrific, really great cast of people, and I have to tell you, uh, I really enjoyed this, it's very well done, it's like a peeling an onion. Oh, I love you it. Know, layer well, by layer. Uh, and, and, and as, as the information is revealed to the audience, it's really got a lot of twists and turns. I thought it was very enjoyable. And then finally, Al John, I spent my uh, St. Patrick's Day evening Uh, in a movie theater uh, seeing The Quiet Man, which was presented by uh, Turner Movie Classics, TMC. Uh, and, uh, I, I saw that at the local theater, uh, hosted, uh, by Ben Mankiewicz and, uh, it was really great to see this movie on a big screen. Once again, you know, this was one of the few, uh, uh, films done by Republic Pictures, in Technicolor, three strip Technicolor. Gotcha. Uh, and it was all shot on location in Ireland. It actually won an Academy Award for cinematography and also won John Ford, uh, one of his Academy Awards for uh, direction. Uh, it's absolutely a beautifully shot picture. And, you know, John Wayne and Maureen O'Hara. I mean, come on, it doesn't get any better than that. Barry Fitz, uh, 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 Fitzgerald, I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was just really great to see, uh, you know, a beautiful print of this. Uh, excuse me, Barry. Yeah, Barry Fitzgerald plays the the matchmaker and bookie uh, uh, who's drunk half the time in the movie. He's absolutely fantastic. Nice. So, uh, but that was, I mean, that, I, that's a lot of stuff I watched. I have to tell you. Well, Hey, you know, that's your gig. <laughs> you know, you got to stay what, up on it. What, what did you see? You know, I, I don't know if I mentioned, I saw scream finally and, uh, liked it. I, I, yeah, I loved it. The, 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 the most recent, uh, version, you know? Yeah. Because they don't throw away they reward the viewer who's followed the series from the beginning. And that's yeah. super important, I think. And that's something that the, 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 the chainsaw massacre, the latest one that had come out decided to just drop off. It's like, no, we just are disregarding everything. Of course, that was a riddled, you know, pro- problem riddled uh, production for chainsaw, but this one was great. I really liked it. Great to see the original cast members kind of come back to a certain degree and, and the new ones were fine. And then uh, Chris and I also watched the Batman, which um, what'd you think? I saw it. I thought it was great. 
uh, you know, it delivered beyond expectations because I have no expectations when it comes to DC movies. Yeah. I watched them and Suicide Squad was irreverent. I loved the James Gunn. Uh, I love the Harlequin character. Love the Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. I thought it was great um, for character, you know, um, as a one-off story. But this, this is great. I think they're on onto something. It very, it, it has very Nolan esque qualities in terms of yes. the darkness. Yeah. But yeah. like, a, like you and I had discussed off camera, off off uh, recording, that this is kind of like Seven, the movie Seven. It had a great, you know. Um, buddy film, you know, with commissioner Gordon and Bruce Wayne going back and forth and, um, the relationship between Catwoman and, uh, Alfred, those are great things. And the villains were amazing too. I thought that, um, the Riddler, um, the problem I have with DC characters like Bane uh, over recent years and the Riddler is that they cover up their face. So it always sounds like they're speaking into a trash can, you know, I mean, yes, yes, that's the yeah. problem. But other than that, I thought it was well executed as a big Batman fan. I like it. And I put this in the top three Batman films of all time. Yeah. And you know something, I agree with you too. Um, I, I think the only thing that uh, I I didn't particularly care for, uh, or I should say wasn't the high point for me in this movie was the, the Riddler character. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think they did enough with him. I didn't particularly care for that performance, but mm-hmm. overall the film is beautifully put together. And, and let me ask you this. It didn't feel like three hours, did it? It, it, it started to. It started to, it? It, I, I really? overlooked it. I overlooked it because they had a couple false endings that I thought, okay, here we yeah. go. And then it just kept on coming on. It's like, how many denouements do you have to have in this film? But it just yeah. was like, I mean, I understand the structure, but it just seemed to me like when it, to me, when it came to a natural head, uh, I thought the conclusion was on its way. And then there was another 30 minutes of the film left. So, yeah, I, you know, for me, it didn't feel like three hours. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I mentioned that last week. Yeah. Uh, the pacing but, was good, uh, I'm glad you saw it. That's yeah, great. Pacing's good. Yeah. And then, uh, I wife and I had, uh, went through devoured the dropout on Hulu and, uh, the dropout is just such a crazy show about the, um, Oh man, I had it in the tip of my tongue um, about the Theranos. Theranos, yeah, yeah the Theranos uh, implosion <laughs> of that business. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I really, I really liked, uh, I really liked it um, overall. It was a, it was a good watch, and I like these little, you know, mini series because I feel like you can invest just enough time in a six part mini series uh, where you get a little bit more character development yeah and yeah. i thought that um you know amanda Se- uh, Seyfried was amazing as the mm-hmm. elizabeth holmes you know I'm yeah. elizabeth holmes and i'm gonna i'm gonna swindle you out of all this money um but i thought she was great so i'm you looking know, forward I, to that. I, th- I honestly i'd followed i'd followed that entire story in the wall street journal as it was unfolding mm-hmm. uh and i have to say i think i honestly believe that she set out to do something incredible but uh was in over her head oh 100 percent, 100 percent. she you know as they say the lies keep getting bigger and your grave d- keeps getting deeper so yes. yeah. <laughs> um and i think the last thing oh i saw turning red so oh, what'd you think I, I i was gonna try and watch it this week but i just didn't get to it i thought it was really good i mean i know it's gotten some mixed reviews from people but i think you know, there are stories and tales for everyone. And yeah. I really liked 
I really liked it. And I liked the anime style that they tried to bring in and they Pixar eyes it, right? So they Pixar eyes the film, but I like the stylistic look of the characters. I love the red panda. My kids absolutely adored it. They were sitting still like, this is cool. Like, I really like this. And they're, you know, one and a half, two and a half years old. And they were just mesmerized by the visuals, but I was too. And I really liked the story. Obviously as Filipino Chinese, I really, I really got into to it because I know how overprotective Asian families can be. And that is, you know, there's a reason why, you know, people talk about that, you know, that, that culture that way, because there are those overprotective parents. And honestly, if you remember back in the day when Tony Danza had his, his movie and Dave, maybe remember this, she's out of control of the overprotective dad and the teenage uh, girl living in the house. It was very much a hovering parent you know, uh, kind of situation. So when you watch the film, look out for these kind of universal truths, but the animation and story I thought were, were great. Um, so I appreciated it. Um, oh, good. Yep. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yep. Last but not least, I just want to mention, uh, I did finally, uh, finally stream evils, uh, the series with, uh, Mike Coulter <laughs> and Katja Herbers and Astif Mandivi. And I love this show on, uh, Paramount plus it's very, I love it when, you know, shows like this or shows like, um, the exorcist, you know, those kind of horror shows kind of come in good versus evil, um, with a very, um, uh, spiritual twist to it. Uh, so I really appreciate it. So check out season two of evil on Paramount plus. So, okay. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. I do it for you. So uh, I know yeah, yeah. Although I have to say, I did go see scream. So, you know, hey. that was, that was, uh, some people were surprised yeah. that I saw that film. But you watched Halloween too. So, you know, Right? I know, I know. So there yeah. you go. There you have I'm, it. I'm so I'm selective with the, <laughs> with, with, with with that genre. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> Skull Rock Podcast ripped from the headlines. It's Skull Rock Podcast headline news. Speaking of the Batman, Dave, sixty-six million dollar weekend is nothing to scream about <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I just have to get my uh my little christopher nolan batman impersonation in there hey yeah, I mean, blow- this, this is done well i mean it's blown past 238 million uh by the time i think our listeners uh uh hear our show it'll be uh uh well past uh 250 million oh absolutely i think it's great yeah. so you know once again the box office is back you give them this big you know, you deliver good movies. The words, you know, goes by quickly. Um, and once again, it's just a great, uh, a great film. So congratulations yeah. to DC um, and doing this in the midst of a restructuring going on at yeah. Warner Brothers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and you love this. Uh, I This is in my queue and I still have yet to see it. Uh, it's Mitchell versus Machines winning big at the Annie Annie Awards. So there you go, Dave. Yeah, they they swept the Annie Awards. And I have to tell you, you know, I vote on the Annie Awards and uh, I I gave a big thumbs up to uh, the Mitchell versus uh, the Mitchells versus the Machines, because I just think it's an absolutely fantastic animated film. And if our listeners out there in podcast land have not seen it, uh, really uh, go on to Netflix and and watch this. I think you really will enjoy it. I I think it's a fun movie. Yeah, right. Produced by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Uh, you know they're irreverent, a great comedy team. They did like the Lego movies and all that, but they produced it. It's an animated family comedy about the robot apocalypse. 
and they won the awards for Best Direction, presented to Mike Rianda and Jeff Rowe in writing, also to Rianda and Rowe in production design. So that's a lot of awards. So congratulations. Yeah, no, it's, editing. It's, really, it's really done well, and uh, we'll see what happens with the Academy Awards. Right on. Speaking of uh, uh, awesome, awesome movie, Spider-Man No Way Home is now avail- available on digital, Dave. So uh, people can get, get out there and purchase the digital uh, film or uh, purchase it on Blu-ray. Um, but once again, this is probably the biggest movie of, um, what is it, this year? Did it come out this year? I keep on well, thinking it, it came out last 2021. year. It was 2021. It's yeah. the biggest movie of 2021. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> But you know something, I, I I I'm wondering where it's going to stream. Uh, you have any insight on that? Well, according to Den of Geek, they report unlike Shang Chi, the Eternals, um, and uh, it won't be on Disney Plus because they are being distributed via Sony. So chances are it'll probably find its way to Netflix unless they've worked well. out some other type of deal. But uh, everyone's been kind of tight-lipped as to where it's going to land for streaming. Oh, that's fantastic! Uh, you know, yeah, I, I thought it was really one of the one of the better movies of 2021. It was really at the top of my list. Yeah, you know, it's I mean, a beautiful, beautifully uh, made film. They do fan service right, so that's for sure. Fans are also uh, applauding because they have just recently reintroduced the Marvel live action series arriving on Disney Plus. So now people can check out Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage. Iron Fist, The Defenders, Punisher, and Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Their Netflix deals are up. They're all on the streaming platform at Disney+. So, Plus. so, so have they made new new shows? Or are nope. these just the, 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 the seasons that they had done when they were on Netflix? Yeah, the seasons they had done when they were on Netflix. So now you can see. I've watched all of them. I mean, The Punisher was great. Um, you know, Daredevil is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jessica Jones is mm-hmm. uh, really good, you know. So, uh, and uh, what was the other one? Luke, uh, uh, Luke Cage, there's right? Luke, yeah, Luke Cage, which with Mike Holter from the show Evil. We like Mike yeah. Holter. So, yeah, no, I mean, you know, Luke Cage was a, a was a great show as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Luke Cage is one of my favorites. Um, uh, you know, and so, and of course, uh, you've got uh, Agents of Shield as well. You know, yeah. Um, so yeah. all that's but there, they're, but they're not making any new uh, uh, seasons of any of those, are they? Not. Yet, yet, not okay. yet. But they are I, I, now. I hope s- they do. Well, I you saw in Spider-Man: No Way Home, they had Charlie Cox's Daredevil. They yep, brought him yep. into that, and you also saw, um, you know, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio uh, coming in with a new yeah. Hawkeye series. So his character from uh, the Netflix shows is now being brought into the Marvel MCU yeah, as canon. Yeah. And so, um, and, uh, and you saw um, uh, with uh, Captain Marvel, of course, you saw. Um, Phil Coulson, the character Phil Coulson, come in uh, as yeah. part of the '90s Shield, but they're going to be developing more with these characters in these shows. Uh, I understand that they're bringing in a brand new um, Punisher with the same actor uh, that came Good. in for that. So yeah, there's more more of that to come. Uh, in Disney Plus. So yeah, you know, I have that. to say, Vincent D'Onofrio is really fantastic. Isn't he great? Know? Yeah, and, and you know, uh, by the way, uh, you know, he was in a a small film many years ago uh called mystic pizza yes yes i remember remember that that. absolutely remember that yeah well he's a great actor for sure i love yeah he really is terrific yeah uh speaking of marvel and disney plus we have the new trailer for miss marvel if you haven't checked that out uh disney plus has got the first uh, superheroine uh 
high school student uh, being a uh, Kamala Khan. She's a Muslim African or she's a Muslim American teenager growing up in Jersey city. Uh, I've known about the Miss Marvel character in various iterations through time. And uh, I think a few years ago, they released a comic book uh, on this new version of Miss Marvel reimagined uh, as a, uh, you know, as a teenage girl and not a, not a full woman yet teenage girl, just discovering her powers and being a Muslim American. So uh, I think, this has all the looks of a teenage drama enveloped with, you know, this origin story, which is fine because once again, Marvel cinematic universe hasn't really taken that uh, step into that teenage uh, high school drama yet. They're going to with, with the uh, Spider-Man, of course they took it a different direction with him being more of an older character. So now this is their time, a brand new hero for Marvel cinematic universe. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to it. Uh, Dave, this might uh, be something you're interested. If you can dream it, you can draw it. Disney presents Disney plus presents a one of a kind drawing experience called sketchbook available to stream April 27th. Um, and from supper club creators, the Emmy nominated chef's table and award-winning Disney animation studios, a six part series follows Disney animation artists as they teach viewers how to draw their favorite iconic characters. Awesome. And I love this. And some of your cohorts, are yeah, in this the, as who, well. Who, who, they, who do they have doing this? So it looks like they have got um, Eric Goldberg. Of course. Uh, of course, uh, who's drawing the genie. Uh, yeah. They have got uh, character designer Jin Kim, uh, who's doing Captain Hook. You've uh-huh. got Samantha Vilfort, who's drew, drawing Encanto's Maribel. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got Mark Hen. Yeah, of course. Who's Mark teaching Hinn. Simba. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, let's see here. Um, Hyun Min Lee, who's doing Olaf and Emperor New Groove Cusco is being drawn by Gabby Kappel. Fantastic. So you have a a mixture. That sounds like a, a, a fun, a fun show. You know, one of my favorite things to do at the Disney park theme parks is go to their animation, um, Academy. Yes. And I love, my wife and I love doing the sketch uh, and following the sketch artists as they're there doing their craft. And I can't tell you how many times we've gone to the parks and just, you know, purchased, you know, these drawings that we frame in our house all the time and these cells sure. that we, we, we have all the time in, at home. So it's great that they're doing this. I think it's great because Disney is animation and drawing and uh, seeing yeah, abso- people do that. Absolutely. It's important. Um, and, 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 you know, the, those kinds of things are inspiring for uh, the next generation of artists out there. It was to me. I can't tell yeah. you, you know, even though I didn't, you know, I I wanted to be an, a Disney animator and Marvel uh, artist for so long. I bought every book for that. And I literally have got huge calluses from drawing with my pencil and pen back when I was in high school. And yeah. even though I don't do that a lot now. I still cherish that because that's where my imagination was unlocked and with what sure. you can do with, with film and, and being an artist. Uh, speaking of that, uh, something close to you, Dave earth day is approaching April 22nd to kind of piggyback on the whole Disney nature of it all. Polar bear yeah. is going to be uh, debuting on Disney plus it's a new Disney nature team up uh, to help protect polar bears, mothers, cubs, and their Arctic home. And uh, it's a brand new film and it looks looking, amazing. I'm really looking forward to seeing this. You know, I, I really am. And and that's uh, that's debuting next Tuesday or excuse me. It's next Tuesday, month. April 22nd. You got yeah, it. Uh, April 22nd, 
Tuesday, April. It's not Tuesday, is it? No, uh, I, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm getting confused. We're in March. <laughs> My God, I, I don't even know what April twenty second is Friday it is anymore. <laughs> it's yeah. it's Friday, April twenty. It's Friday, April twenty second, uh-huh. Earth Day. Uh, yeah. Next month, uh, yeah. polar bear uh, on Disney Nature. You know, I may have to uh, reach out. I, I don't know if you have anybody, but I'm, I, maybe Alistair Fothergill may be available again to do an interview about Disney Nature again. He he's such a great filmmaker documentary oh let's do it Let, let's have get to, him i have to reach out to him anyway yeah. it's been a while um have our have our people contact people. <laughs> i know i've got i've got a list of people i need to get up on that i'm i'm slacking off dave hey um disney encanto sing along you know everybody loves the music of encanto uh that's why it's it's gone so far because of those memorable uh memorable songs part of it and they have a fan favorite musical animation sing-along that's going to be uh going to be launching on Disney Plus, and uh, it looks like uh, they're going to be doing it really soon. I'm looking for the date that they're doing it. I guess it's um, uh, today. Honestly, really, a, 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 a sing-along on Disney Plus? Isn't it more fun to go into a theater and do the sing-along? Man, you know. You know, with, with hundreds of other people who love the movie? It might as well, right? You just yeah. might as well do it. And uh, they do it in the theme parks all the time. There are theaters set up to do these yeah. um, showings and they have sing-alongs for Lion King and Frozen and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, you might yeah. as well do sing-alongs for, for Encanto as well. I can see it. But it's going to be starting today as we record this. So when you hear it, it's, all, it's already on the, the platform. So be sure to check that out. I mean, the film has been watched over 180 million uh, times and rewatches on Disney Plus. I mean, wow, people love this movie, and and I can see why. So be sure to check that out. A uh, couple other notes. Uh, one of your shows, uh, you you watch Barry, right? Oh yeah, I love Barry with yeah. Bill Hader. And they, mean, yeah, exactly. Holy. Just a tremendous, uh, it's a great show, tremendous comedian. I love Bill Hader. Yeah. So uh, you've got season three released by uh, HBO. So there you go. Bill Hader, of course, is a hit man for hire. Uh, desperately Who's trying, trying to, to become an actor, you know, and his acting coach uh, is Henry Winkler. I love that. I and absolutely Henry Winkler, love it. Henry Winkler is fantastic. You know, he, you know, he suffered in, 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 in the business for a number of years because of his role as Fonzie typecast, you know, like mm-hmm. he was typecast as Fonzie, but you know what? Henry Winkler is a great actor yes. and he's been, he's been in a lot of really great films since then. And, and series, I mean, this series is, is terrific. And Henry Winkler is at the top of his game. I'd love to have Henry Winkler on the show. Yeah. If Hen- Henry, if you're listening, have your people call our people. I would too, because I love <laughs> happy days. I, I've, I wanted to be Fonzie. I thought he was uh, the coolest thing ever. And then when his career kind of made a resurgence with Adam Sandler and getting him in all of these movies and he was in Scream, kind of circling back to Scream again, you know, as a the principal, his career just found a new life and doing all these documentaries and and, and even live uh, the, I guess the live, uh, uh, what do you call those, the reality-based uh, shows that he did with William Shatner and all that. I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, he's just a great, uh, compelling person. Uh, character person just to watch so yeah um last but not least our hearts go out to the family and friends of william hurt uh the star of body heat kiss of the spider woman and broadcast news amazing film by the way dies at the age of 71 
Um, a lot of people remember him from The Big Chill. I know I do. Children of a Lesser God, The Accidental Tourist, and History of Violence. And uh, man, will he be missed. Of course, people know him more as a member of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Thunderbolt Ross as he chases the Incredible Hulk and also uh, working uh, covertly to build a group of uh, anti-heroes working in the Cinematic Universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Dave, uh, what are your thoughts about uh, William Hurt? You know, I got to say, when I heard this, I was mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> of course. All right, that, 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 was, that was from Broadcast News, which was, to me, a great film, mm-hmm. a great film, and it was a great film yes. because he was part of that cast. And uh, I was very shocked when I, I, I saw this come over the wire uh, because um, he was only 71. It's young. I mean, that, that's young. That's young. And I just, I thought, you know, what a loss for, for the entertainment world, because, you know, how many more great performances did he have in him? And and I'm just, you know, he's left behind an incredible body of work, but boy, I'm mad as hell. I know. Right. I mean, I I think a lot of people have seen his films. I mean, he has been that prolific. His resume reads like an encyclopedia. So be sure to check that out. Of course, um, man, Kiss of the Spider-Woman, just classic performance and really one of those actors, uh, award-winning, Academy Award-winning actors um, to to grace uh, the big screen. And yeah. of, of course, uh, he was also in the cast, you know, being uh, studied under uh, Juilliard in New York for the likes of Christopher Reeve and Robin Williams and Mandy Patinkin. So, wow. you know, he's got the chops and, and God bless him because uh, we were looking forward to seeing him and I'm sure he'll, you know, he'll be uh, in more of these Marvel roles because he filmed a lot of stuff prior to his passing. So I'm sure we'll just see him, you know, yeah. posthumously in all these Marvel movies that, are, that have yet to come. Yeah, it's just terrible. Absolutely. All right. Well, rest in peace, William Hurt. Um, and then we move on to Ron Diamond and our interview, the animation show of shows here on Skull Rock Podcast. Let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Well, Al John, I'm excited, as I always am, for our guests uh, this week. Uh, We've got uh, animation producer, curator, and founder of the animation show of shows, Ron Diamond, who also is the founder of the Acme Filmworks, which does all kinds of uh, artistic advertisements, music videos, short films, television programs, and everything else under the sun that has animation in it i want to welcome ron diamond to the skull rock podcast welcome ron thank you very much so delighted to be with you today and and our studio audience once again goes wild for our guests i i mean it's just (laughs) they're so predictable Uh, (laughs) like they're on cue or something i know really (laughs) uh ron really it's a pleasure to have you on the show it's it's been well because of the pandemic it's been a couple of years since i've seen you in person uh but i generally run into you at screenings around town uh that are animation related and with the Academy Awards, uh, really, by the time our listeners hear this program, the voting in the Academy Awards will be underway. Uh, and uh, I wanted to have you on the show to talk about uh, animation, but also the short 
film animation uh, that a lot of people out in the hinterlands of the United States and other parts of the world don't necessarily get a chance to see all the time. Uh, you know, certainly if you're in the industry, you do. But um, I, I just want to briefly sort of step back and ask you how you got into animation. How did you get, how did you first get involved in animation? Uh, watching TV. You know, okay. it's like everybody, you know, uh, except for our parents, our grandparents who grew up watching cartoons in the movie theaters. You know, I was watching the Warner Brothers cartoons on Saturday morning and in the afternoons and in the early mornings on weekdays before going to school and fell in love with those. But, you know, I have to say, all of a sudden there was this TV show in the mid 70s that had um, short films on it on PBS and it had unusual, unexpected films. And uh, I vividly remember um, and love the film Hot Stuff by, I'm gonna butcher his name, Zlatko Grigic. It's wrong, I promise you, I, I mispronounced <laughs> I haven't learned how to pronounce very many names. And, uh, you know, it's about God giving fire to man, you know, and, and all the trouble that man creates with it. And finally man burns down the whole world and, and God goes, yeah, next time I'm going to give it to the women. You know? <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is great. And I, we're not in Kansas anymore. And that really excited me about what the NFB and all the other uh, producers, independent producers, were making with short films at the time. So it's, um, it's a glorious universe with fantastic people. And did you, uh, did, when you saw that film, did you decide, hey, I want to get involved in animation? And did you go to school for animation or, you know, film? What, what was your path into, well, the, into, you know, into the industry? I, a good, good question. Uh, I had no path. I was a solid C student, just like one of our former presidents. Uh, when I graduated high school, I went to college, did very well. I went to community college for two years. And then uh, somehow, remarkably, I got into UCLA Film School, where I met some of my very best friends, uh, people like David Silverman, uh, Jim, other people you wouldn't necessarily know, editors like Jeff Wishingrad and a lot of other folks. Um, and, and, and my wife, uh, Carol Frank, uh, we met uh, in film school and I loved movies. Uh, during one summer I went to, I had nothing to do, so I just went to the movies. I saw like hundreds of movies in one summer, not just animation, but you know. Just everything, right? I mean, you're, you're, just, you're, you're a fan, fan of film, you're a I, film I, fan. Yeah, I studied cinema. Yeah, And so I was at UCLA for four years. I got my master's degree there as well and uh, had a great time. It was like camp for me. I had a fabulous time, but I decided to produce while I was there. And um, I, I didn't really want to be in the director's seat. And I liked the idea of being able to produce multiple things at the same time. And so I produced movies for the first 10 years of my career. So you did live action movies, right? Because I, I believe you did one of Al John's favorite films. Am I right, Al John? Oh, yes. The Sorority House Massacre. Oh, you should have been on the set, Al John. You know, I you am a huge, yeah, I'm so huge as a, a fan of, of, those of those type of films. So it's, it's pretty cool. As good as that was, having a meeting with Roger Corman was kind of a, a real experience, let me tell you. I, but I you bet. know something, Roger Corman, though, I mean, that that's where so many great filmmakers got their start, right? 
Yeah, but they got to make movies like, you know, Eat My Dust and, and uh, Dementia 13. And, you know, we, we, we made Sorority House Massacre. So, <laughs> you know, uh, he had kind of given it up and just really was making a lot of exploitation films, you know. So, you know, the things that made Ron Howard and uh, John Sayles and uh, Francis Ford Coppola successful weren't the kinds of things that he was offering to us at the time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was still a great experience because... Well, and that's the whole thing. It was a stepping stone, right? To, to be bigger and better things. Yeah. I went on to produce uh, the, the Chocolate War. And then after that, I did The Dark Backward. And uh, each with their own fascinating experiences, all each produced under a million dollars, you right. know, including the cast. You know, who gets wow. to have James Caan and Wayne Newton and Rob Lowe and Laura Flynn Boyle in a movie? I mean, it was and, and let me ask you something, you know, getting big names into low budget films, that was a, a, a bigger thing back in those days. Right. Uh, as far as like, you know, somebody like a James Conn would go do a big studio picture, but then he would do a small indie film. Right. Uh, in between. I have to say actors love to act. Yeah. And, you know, the director, Adam Rifkin, who at the time I believe was 23 Mm. directing his uh, second movie. Um, he, he, I still love him. I'm so much, I, I'm a big, huge fan of his and he's a remarkable individual. I really recommend you see The Dark Backward. It's, uh, a lot of people wanted, were very angry with me about it, but it, you know, if you haven't seen it, you don't know what I'm talking about, but those who have seen it understand. Uh, <laughs> it's a real cult classic. And, but you know, Adam was close with the Breakfast Club group. And we were supposed to have Charlie Sheen in the movie, but Charlie had to go somewhere else. His uh, family decided he was going to go into rehab. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, look at all the people you worked with over the course of the Chocolate War and the Dark Backward. I mean, Bill Paxton, Judd Nelson, Laura Flynn Boyle, you mentioned Rob Lowe, James Kahn, and you worked with Ian Mitchell Smith from Weird Science. So, yeah, you worked with yeah. a lot of great actors there. Yeah, really. And John Glover was John amazing. John Glover, yeah. Bud Court was in it and Jenny Wright. I mean, really great actors. And it was fun working with those folks. I'm sorry to say that we didn't blossom any great, uh, massively successful, you know, Meryl Streep quality, you know, level, I wouldn't say quality, but level uh, successes out of Sorority House Massacre. But, <laughs> uh, it was, it was, you know, you shoot a whole movie in what, 17 days or 14 days? It's pretty, pretty intense production. I can uh, imagine. Shot, we shot in the mean streets of Los Angeles, uh, down in the uh, Crenshaw district. One night we hear, cars racing down the street and we hear uh, helicopters flying overhead. We're trying to shoot. And uh, we hear clink, 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 clink. And it wasn't gunshots. There were actually guns being thrown out of a car as it was racing up the street. Wow. Found machine guns. And we called the police. We said, hey, you know, there's this thing going on. They said, yeah, yeah, we know all about it. And I said, yeah, but we actually have something you might be interested in. And they said, well, don't touch it. And I said, well, we already brought it into the house. So, you know, if you want to come by and pick it up. It was, it was really trial by fire, making a movie. It's, um, you know, I, I, I did an internship at the TV Academy, actually, during uh, my, um, between my, my senior year and my, my first year at grad school that really helped formulate my understanding. I, I worked with a producer named, um, oh, remember, memory is a terrible thing to lose, uh, Chris Morgan, uh, son of Harry Morgan. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a producer and um, 
and a number of other remarkable people on that production with uh, Bonnie Franklin and um, uh, an amazing cast. It was all about, um, anyway, uh, but I learned about producing from these folks and it was in, in like six weeks. I learned so much about it. That, that, that's, a, that's always the way though, isn't it? I mean, it's like you can be in a classroom, you can be taking, you know, particular classes, but until you get thrown into, you know, a production, you learn so much. I, I mean, I learned so much when I started working at Disney, the first six months I was there, I learned more than I learned when I was, uh, you know, all the years at college. Yeah. You know, it was, uh, I will say I learned a lot from Peter Deckham, uh, who's one of Hollywood's most revered uh, agents, uh, not agent, lawyers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he negotiated the deal for George Lucas on Star Wars. Got wow. to hear all about it. You know, I mean, that that kind of firsthand, and it was only a couple of years before, you know, we were in his class. So it's not like it was a distant memory. It was only, mm-hmm. you know. So having that chance to, be part of the industry when you're making films. And again, I produced several student films when I was at school, including a film with Jeff Wishingrad, which was fantastic. You know, it's a um, great way to try out things. And I remember ripping you. You remember the old phone books? You remember, yes. phone you know, LA had a really thick phone book and sure. I, I tore the yellow pages into like four sections and people had volunteered. And I say, here, just call anybody who can give us food. <laughs> I, I just gave half, you know, a quarter of the phone book to four different people and they were just dialing for food, you know, and got like 40 pounds of cheese and, you know, 40 boxes of, of macaroni. So the director's father made macaroni and cheese, that we cooked, <laughs> you know, on the set, you know, it was just kind of funny that um, you do all these things when you're young and sometimes you do them when you're not so young, but uh, it, it, it was a good foundation. I really enjoyed and, and, it. And you, you said you were producing uh, live action essentially for 10 years, right? That's correct. I did yeah. principles of home defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, we had a, a a detective on board who was there to make sure everything was authentic. And he says, you know, Ron, you would really do good in crime. I said, <laughs> I do work in the motion picture business. He says, well, not, not just because of that. He says, you have a very trusting face. People will like you a lot and they won't believe that you're going to steal from them. I said, I'll keep that in mind. I, I decided not to go down that path. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting uh, experience producing movies. I, I loved making movies. I still want to make some, some live action, additional live action movies. But now, so how did you cross over from that into starting to do animation? Well, I took a, while I was at UCLA, I was not an animation major, but I took one class and somehow I got their revered Crystal Anvil Award, you, you know, as a great animation alumni from one class, but that's okay. I'm not going to complain. That's great. Um, but I, you know, I was watching films. And I remember seeing uh, in the animation class, uh, Windy Day. Uh, by John and Faith Hubley. Beautiful, beautiful film in which they recorded their children and then they animated to the voices that her, their kids were, these fantasy worlds that these two little girls were playing in. It was a lovely film it was nominated for the Oscar, might have won, I can't remember exactly, and uh, probably won. And Barry Nelson was in LA and I got acquainted with him and I had just started, my wife and I, we started in 1980, a distribution company. So we were distributing the short films of a lot of then basically unknown people. 
And some of them had received uh, acknowledgement, like um, this this guy that you might have heard of, a guy named John Lasseter. Um, we were distributing his student film, Lady in the Lamp, Cal uh, Arts. Uh, almost changed the course of animation history, actually, in 1980 with with John uh, by by accident. It didn't happen, but it was about to. If you want to hear the story, I'll tell you the story. Sure, let's hear it. It's animation related. He makes this great film called Nightmare. It's based on the book by Mercer Mayer. It's a fantastic book, and it's a frankly, it's a fantastic short. I loved it. And uh, I said, John, let's uh, let's take this. I, I, I'm sure I'll hear that I'm saying something incorrectly, but I'm doing my best to remember. This is 40 years ago, 42 years ago. I said, John, let me take it and try to find a producer to put it on the front of a movie. And he says, okay. So we literally sign a piece of paper saying I can do that. And uh, we used to meet at Hamptons. You remember Hamptons? Oh, gosh, yeah. Uh, you know, we'd meet there for lunch on occasion. And uh, like weeks later, I call him up. I said, like, you're not going to believe this, but I've got a movie for us to put it on the front of. He's like, that's great. Let's do a color version of it. And I said, well, yeah, we should. And, and he said, well, how much time do we have? And I said, well, not a lot. And he says, well, do we have much budget? And I said, not much, you know. And, and he said, I don't know how we're going to be able to do it. I, how long, how much time? I said, well, I, I think four weeks. He says, four weeks. We can't turn around a color <laughs> in four weeks. I said, yes, we can. We don't have to sleep. We don't have to go to bed at all. I said, we can't miss this opportunity. This is a really big opportunity. And he says, well, what do you know about the movie? I said, well, it's got a great cast. And he says, well, who's in it? And I said, Dan Aykroyd's in it. I said, He's well, Dan Aykroyd's great, you know. It was again, it's like '80s. So, and uh, he said, "Well, who else?" I said, "Well, uh, Bill Murray's in it." He said, "Like Bill Murray." I don't know how we can get this done. He said, "Anybody else?" I said, "Jim Belushi," and and he's like, "You know, Ron, we just can't do it." I said, "We got to find a way. We got to find a way." I was pleading with him over the phone, and he says, "You know." I really want to do it, but I can't. I know we're going to regret it. And what movie was it? Ghostbusters. It was. All right. Now, what would happen if John Lasseter had made Ghostbusters and had been on the front of Ghostbusters in 1980 and the whole world had seen it? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Right. You think Pixar would even have success, succeeded without John Lasseter as the creative lead if he never went there? It's possible. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you don't know. You don't know. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? But, that, you know, so anyway, it, I, I we worked with Mark Baker, the creator of Peppa Pig and a bunch of other TV shows in Great Britain. And, uh, you know, we distributed their film and we have had built a library of about 150 shorts about which two thirds of them were animated shorts and uh, finally sold it in 85. And that's when I decided to really focus on producing. Um, I was still producing, that's when I was producing movies, but I also started producing the International Tournée of Animation, the Animation Celebration, the uh, Outrageous Animation, Computer Animation Show, a bunch of collections of animation that were released in theaters. It was- And, and those, those, were, those were cut together into sort of feature length presentations, right? Where it, it, was, it was sort of like going to a theater and seeing a Fantasia-like movie, but it was all these independent films, these independent animated films strung together. Exactly. Yeah. Much like the animation show of shows is today, but we have, for the animation show of shows, we've got a little secret sauce that's different than all of that, which I, uh, 
Not each of our features have it, but most of them do. And that is that uh, since we became a nonprofit in 2015, we've been producing little mini documentaries to really understand why the filmmakers made the films. We film in their world so we can get a sense of who they are as individuals and all of, all of two minutes per documentary. You really get a sense of the artist and why they made that film. And I think that helps us understand. I remember watching the Olympics one day and thinking, why do I care about the Olympics? And I realized it was because NBC back in the day yeah. had started making a big deal out of the, the, the athletes and their families and their challenges. And, you know, and uh, you get that personal look at, at their journey to get to the Olympics. And it's similar with what you're doing. You get to see the filmmaker and what sparked them to make the particular film that they made and their particular background and all of that. And, and and by the way, I also find it very fascinating because when you're looking at independent animated shorts, it runs the gamut in technique. Uh, you know, you have people doing sand, you have people doing cut paper, you have the Russian guy painting on glass and, you know, he paints a frame and photographs it and then wipes it part of it away and moves the arm. I mean, it's like you, you have people doing the really some incredibly inventive techniques. Uh, and I find all of that fascinating to, to be able to see some of that behind the scenes. But, but before we start talking about the animation show shows, I just want to remind our listeners that, uh, the Academy Awards are coming up at the end of the month. And uh, by the time they hear this show, the uh, the voting will be going on for the Academy Awards. And I just want people to understand what the five animated feature films, and we're not going to really talk about the features, but I want to mention them. Uh, Encanto, uh, a film called Flea, uh, Luca, uh, Mitchell's Versus the Machines, and Raya. Uh, those are the five animated feature films that are up for a Academy Award uh, consideration or for the Academy Award this year. Uh, and I can tell you that Mitchell's versus the Machines swept the Annie Awards this past weekend. Uh, and Encanto uh, picked up a best animated feature for uh, from, ba uh, excuse me, it picked up a best uh, animated feature award at the BAFTAs uh, in London. Uh, and all five of these films, you, you know, you should absolutely see if you love animation, but we're going to really focus, I think, on the uh, animated uh, short films. Uh, and I am just uh, getting my screen up here uh, because I want to make sure I get all the titles uh, correct because I actually have watched. I think I watched uh, all 20 uh, or 30 uh, I can't even remember how many of the um, uh, animation shorts there were in uh, prior to the nominations. So, you know, I think I watched at least 30 animated shorts. Ron, would that sound about right? Well, there um, were about 84, I believe, that were submitted and qualified. And then once we... They, they, they have what's known as the bake-off, right? Which, uh, which that pairs it down. That's the, exactly. So we watched those and it, normally people are assigned half of those. So you might have right. got 40 of them or 42. I watch them all. Right. I mean, it's just part of my career is to sure, sure. The new talent for Acme and, and, you know, and of course looking for films for the show of shows. 
which I did. I actually found two films that did not get nominated that I thought were fantastic, that I really wanted in the show. Yeah. I knew they wouldn't get nominated. And, and from those 84, it boils down to... I, I Or 15? I, I, it had to have been 15, I think. Yeah. And then from the 15, you get your five that get nominated. And, and so the five that are nominated this year, there's a film called Affairs of the Art, Batista... Box Ballet, Robin Robin, and The Windshield Wiper. Uh, and those are the five nominations for the Academy. Uh, and I, I just wanted to put that out there because a lot of these shorts you can now see on streaming services. Am I correct? They are in many different places. I know the uh, Affairs of the Art was playing on the, the New Yorker uh um, webpage, you know, on their site. Yeah. Uh, they're part of um, Condé Nast and they, they program uh, Oscar films. A lot of them are just posted online because they want to get some attention. Right. Nominated, right. They can't be disqualified. Right. And Robin Robin, you can, uh, our, our listeners can, can absolutely see that on Netflix. It's from the folks that uh, at Ardman Studios that have done so many uh, like Chicken Run and so many fabulous uh, stop motion uh, animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, or they could watch them on on the big screen, old school style. Right. And, and so I wanted to touch on that because I know that now these are being packaged uh, and shown in like Lemley theaters in Los Angeles. And uh, I'm sure are many other theater chains around the country. Uh, what about the show? The talk about the animation show shows, because you've been doing that for so long. And I remember when I was working at Disney, I would, uh, you know, Ron Diamond would come, you know, every spring, um, uh, to the animation studio and he would show, he would have his animation show of shows and we would see all of the films that were nominated plus some, because I think you just didn't do just the nominated. Did you, I think you usually showed more than just the nominated ones. Uh, and a lot of times I think it was before the nominations came out. Am I right? Yeah. Well, the show of shows has never been about picking nominees. I mean, we right. no, seven. no. Uh, so I've never really sought them out. Generally, I'll start the release of the show in September, October, before the nominations are before the Academy has even locked the uh, the program in terms of what what can be submitted or not. Right. Um, and you know, we we have had forty one films that were in the show of shows go on to get Oscar nominations, which is nice, and eleven of those won. But it's about finding independent films that otherwise people wouldn't see. You know, a lot of really great works are are missed by a lot of people. So, for instance, if you watch Netflix and you see The House, you can see a portion of it done by Nikki uh, Landroth von Bohr, a Swedish filmmaker and great stop motion work. Very, very super talented. And um, we had in our 19th annual animation show of shows, we had her film The Burden. I had it in the show. The, the rules of the Academy, just for those of you who don't know, is that a film that's over 10 minutes when you're sitting in the theater, if and we, that's what we used to do, and hopefully we'll return next year, uh, if it's longer than 10 minutes or longer, at the five-minute interval, a light comes on in the corner of the room. And if anybody doesn't like it, they have, they've got it in their hand or in their pocket, but if somebody doesn't like a film, they have it usually in their hand waiting, and they raise a flashlight. 
And that means shut it off. And if three quarters of the room raise a flashlight, shuts off, you don't see the rest of it. Unfortunately, the burden didn't get finished. Wow. Great film. Uh, I know all these films intimately. It's already in my program. I'm honored to have it in the program. Got shut on. Very unfortunate. Yeah, it, it is unfortunate, uh, but uh, it's also understandable, especially when they're watching so many films. It's true. I mean, you know as well as I do, because I've gone to the Samuel Goldwyn Theater many, many times over the years, and there are some films that are 30 minutes long, and they feel like they're 12 hours long, you know? <laughs> you know? We, we all have sat through yeah, and, and, and had our flashlights. I have turned off many a film yeah. with my contribution to with sure. the flashlights. So, uh, but uh, let, let me ask you though, uh, with, with the animation show of shows, it's evolving. I, I mean, it, you used to do some DVD releases, didn't you, with, with the animation show of shows? I still do. Okay. So <laughs> you still do. I, I'm, I'm like the last person to put their money into the pyramid scheme. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm still making DVDs. I'm about to make two more DVDs of the 21st and 22nd annual animation show. show. But, but, but that's really for like animation fans out in the world who uh-huh. like have no other way. Like if they live in the middle of Kansas on a farm, they, they have no other way to see this than to actually try and, you know, get a DVD of it. Right. There's a lot of collectors out there too that, yeah. that, that just want to actually have it. Yeah. You know, there's people who know that the world's going to come to an end. They want to make sure they have their DVD collection all sorted out before that happens. In, you know? in their bomb shelter. In their bomb shelter. <laughs> watch because there ain't going to be no internet when, uh, when Armageddon comes. Well, the internet, it's just, it's just a fad, isn't it? <laughs> like cable and MTV. Yeah. <laughs> So, so how, how is the uh, animation show of shows evolving in today's world? Well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, every year it's kind of a, a perspective of the last year or two worth of films. Sometimes I discover one that was done two or three years ago. I'll consider it, but mostly the last year or two. And it's really, uh, it's like a time capsule. So it evolves along with all of us. So uh, the 21st annual animation show of shows, which came out actually in 2019, was a very kind of a heavy show because there was a lot of political undertones going on around the world. A lot of kind of leadership that was angry and things like that. And I think people felt heaviness and it it showed up in the films. Interestingly enough, the 22nd show, which is just recently going to open, as a matter of fact, it's going to premiere at WonderCon on April 1st, Friday, April 1st in Anaheim. Um, That has a much more optimistic, even though it was mostly made during the pandemic. Right. It was hopeful. And I have to say, I tipped I tipped the, uh, the opportunity more into the optimistic by including a film from 35 years ago. Who pulls a film out from, from eternity and puts it as a primary film within the show? But in the show, I have a film that I actually distributed 35 years ago as part of the 20, 20th um, uh, or 21st uh, International Tourney of Animation. 
the man who planted trees. Oh, that is uh, that is absolutely that Frederick Bach. I mean, yes. that, that that's that's a timeless picture. And talk it's about cool. optimism. It's a beautiful film. I mean, I love that film. It's, it's Anything cool. by Frederick Bach, Bach, uh, he, I love. He was a master. He was yeah. a total master. And we we I hope to include. We also got the rights to put Crack, his earlier film, the story of a family and a rocking chair. Mm. And uh, you know, he's an impressionistic drawer. I mean, he, yeah. he brings, you know, basically a Monet to life, you know, it's, it, it, yeah. I have to say to the audience, if you've not seen a Frederick Bach, uh, and he was a, uh, Canadian, uh, animator, uh, did most of his films, I believe with the, uh, uh, national film board of Canada or no, he didn't. He, were they all independent? ID radio Canada. It was the, uh, I'm sorry. What was it? Society radio Canada. Okay. Radio all Canada. right. Well, it was Canada. It was Canada. No, it was Canada. <laughs> he was actually born in in uh, in in France, but he moved uh, because he had a pen pal, and he was French Canadian. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, but I mean, any one of his films, I, I what the river, uh, the mighty river, the mighty yeah. river, uh, the man who planted trees. I mean, some just absolutely beautiful, beautiful films, all handmade, very personal films. Well, what I wanted to do with The Man Who Planted Trees is just imbue within a new audience that probably has never seen his work up on the big screen to make yeah. them feel optimistic about the world. That they I, can I, actually I'm participate so, in making the world a better place. I, I'm so glad that, that you've, you chose to put that film in. Those are the kinds of films that really should be dropped into these types of screenings so that you, exactly what you said. So new audiences get to discover those films. Because there's no other way they're going to discover them, I don't think. You know, somebody once referred to the internet as uh, uh, like a a card catalog for a, li a very large library poured out on the ground. You yeah. know, it, it's there. The book you're looking for is there. Just now look through 400 million little cards and you'll find that book they're looking for. <laughs> you know, it's it, it, there's so much on the internet without a voice, without um, someone guiding, you know, curating a program. Sure, yeah. Well, uh, let me let me ask you this. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, streaming has. Uh, you know, we're in the midst of the streaming wars. You know, which is a major arms race going on for content. Uh, have you uh, any plans of of doing a curated show uh, potentially on one of the the streaming platforms? Because I think that that would be an actually fantastic thing to drop. You know, three or four you know, feature length uh, programs a year that showcase animation, but also, like you said earlier, have those little documentaries weaved into them so that people can actually see, um, uh, you know, the process and the thought process going into the creation of some of these shorts. Well, you know, streaming services are a lot like, um, um, all of television, they're really looking for high profile kind of things that really, of course, appeal to a mass audience. Yeah. And this is about training an audience. And I'm already doing that by playing it, you know, over 60 universities around the country. Hopefully that will grow exponentially in time. You know, I'm raising people on great animation. And hopefully that will help people realize how great it is. And, they, you know, you ask any festival director, what's the show that always sells out? It's always the program of animated shorts. Of course. 
So, but when it comes to streamers, they're like, you know, you know, they're very selective about what they want to show and we'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure. We'll see. There's, there's definitely new platforms there. There, what is it? Is it Galileo? What's the uh, documentary streaming platform that just uh, launched, I think in the last year, there, there's a a small streaming platform uh, that does documentary. You know, it it just seems to me that there's going to be an outlet for this kind of a thing uh, where, you know, more people can see it from the comfort of their uh, sofa. Uh, as it were, although I'm with you and Al John will, will attest to this. I'm always one that uh, says you got to go to the theater to see these, these films. 100%. You know, I'd rather see them on a big screen. It's a more meaningful experience, but I have to tell you, let me tell you a little story. I was showing, um, I was invited by the state department to go to Algeria, but I couldn't go. Scheduling didn't work out. They had a conference there and they wanted to send some animators. So uh, the following year I was in DC and I went and I met with the person that had invited me. I said, you know, let me, you know, before I show up, get some people together. I'll actually explain what I do. And she says, that'd be great. So they get this room full of like 15 suits and, you know, men and women ready, you know, real high level executive kind of um, folks from the State Department. And uh, I'm sitting at the end of a table with my laptop, little tiny 13 inch screen. And uh, I'm explaining what I do. And they literally have no idea what I'm talking about. I mean, they understand understand every word I'm saying, but they have no idea about the emotional reaction that a film could bring. I go, well, let me just show, can I show you like, guys, can I show you a 10 minute film? And they, they said, go ahead, knock yourself out. So I literally queue up a film, turn my computer around, face it to them. I'm watching them while they're watching the, the, the film. And it's a very strong film. It's a be- one of the most beautiful animated shorts ever, but it is devastatingly sad. And it's the, it's the film by the brilliant director, Michael Dudakdewitt, father and daughter. And all of a sudden, these people are like, holding back the tears. (laughs) I mean, they are all having very strong emotional reactions to what I'm showing them. And they're embarrassed, I think, to be in front of their peers crying. They they were choking back the tears. They were just just really, nobody was successful at holding them back. They were just just like covered in in their teardrops. And it, it just shows you how in a short window of time you could alter the way people think and maybe make them a little bit more empathetic or remind them of something that was important in their lives. Mm. And, and, and so you won them over. They invited me. I went in 2019. I had time and I went to Algeria and I had a fantastic time and they invited 15 comic book artists from DC and Marvel and, you know, all great artists from the East coast we, it was like a love fest. We all just fell in love with one another and had, they all knew one another. I fell in love with all of them and spent uh, just a glorious week with them going, you know, and I presented at schools, middle school and a university and presented animation. And I presented my program to, um, uh, to an, a large audience at their comic book convention. 
And parents came up to me and said, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. You know, it's like, how can we get our kids to do this, this kind of film instead of, you know, whatever their kids are interested in, which is usually anime. And, you know, I said, it's out there. It's, it's available. It's like, where? It's like here, you know? So it's a, it's a really interesting, um, business that I work in because I'm working with people who are artists, who are poets and storytellers. Sure. And they weave together some of the most gorgeous films. Some of the films I've been privileged to show, like Paperman, for instance. I love that film. It's one of my favorite films of all time. John Carr's won an Academy Award. Well-deserving. He and and, um, uh, Christina Reed, I believe, got an Oscar for that. And you know, his producer, a beautiful film. Beautiful. Yeah, it was gorgeous. Touching, it was, it was very story. gorgeous. Yeah. Artfully done, not hitting anybody over the head. It's yeah. clear what the story is, but it's just so beautiful. Yeah. Lucky. And, and, and I'm just I'm just curious what, what you uh when you're out there in the world showing all of these films, uh I mean clearly the animation business has changed drastically in the last 30 years. I mean, there's just a tremendous amount of more opportunities, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Uh, for, for a filmmaker, for, for people who are interested in animation. I mean, I say this all the time because, you know, when I got into the business, like, you know, 40 something years ago, uh, you know, you had Disney doing features. And then you had, you know, Hanna-Barbera and Ruby Spears and Filmation and a few boutique places. And now every major studio has an animation department, including Netflix, you know, and Sony and Warner Brothers and DreamWorks and Disney and, you know, uh, uh, Skydance and It just goes on and on just on the feature end of things. But then you have, you know, all of these gaming companies that are employing animation professionals and you have tons of commercial houses out there uh, uh, like Acme Films. I mean, you're doing uh, all types, uh, all kinds of commercials, aren't you? We are the smallest of the group, I think, because we ha- we represent artists, and yeah. so the opportunities that present themselves are fewer and far between. But yes, we've, you know, we've done thousands of productions over the last thirty-two years. But but you you say they're few and far between, but that kind of ebbs and flows, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's a cyclical thing. I mean, you know, you may be uh, it may be a little bit lean now, but all of a sudden it's going to pick up in a year or two, and you will be over with the amount of projects coming in because, you know, the people at these large corporations decide, oh, we want to support artists and filmmakers and this and that, right? I mean, that's- Absolutely. You never know who's going to be calling next. Uh, last summer, we're talking to Kanye West and we're talking to Drake. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, you just never know who's going to be calling because they're looking for something that's unusual. Yeah. Probably one of our most ubiquitous uh, productions is work that we did for Ridley and Tony Scott. We did the logo for Scott Free. Mm-hmm. It's on the front of every 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 one of their films. Every, it's, it's a beautiful logo. Shows, everything yeah. they do, it's on the front of it. Yeah. And they when they called me, they had already looked at 150 directors and they couldn't find what they were looking for. Yeah, yeah. And the executive producer there at Scott Free said, do you have anything that we haven't seen? I said, I got a lot you haven't seen, but I know exactly what you should look at. And I said, one director's reel over and they went, that's our guy. Yeah. 
That's our guy. And we end up doing the Robin Hood titles as well for Ridley. Wow. It's, it's, um, we, it's, computer animation has gotten to the point where it is completely capable of regenerating the universe in, in absolute 100% articulated detail that nobody could ever notice the difference. But it's about extrapolating and making something that isn't there and having the audience fill in the gaps. And that's what I love about traditional 2D animation is it's, uh, it's, there's something there that's not normally there. Yeah, but you know, it, it, I, I feel like, again, you know, it, it, it's, it's a cyclical thing. I mean, there, there's now a, a hand-drawn animated feature going into production, you know, uh, in town. Uh, and so, I, you know, I, I've often joked uh, over the last uh, 10 years where everything had shifted on the feature front into CG, uh, computer-generated uh, animation, uh, I, I often joked with colleagues that there's going to be some young executive at a studio running down the hall going, we've got to do a hand-drawn movie. We're going to be unique. We're going to blow the, we're going to blow the box office up with this, you know, like they've just discovered it. You know what I mean? Well, that's <laughs> but, what happened with Lilo and Stitch when that came out. I was like, oh my God, where did this come from? It, yeah. it beautiful, really, really nicely told movie. Oh, absolutely. Gorgeous film. So, um, what's next for, for Ron Diamond and Acme Films and the show of shows? Well, let's see. I'm teaching at UCLA my second quarter now. I taught last spring quarter and starting on March 28th, I'll start teaching a history of animation class. Are you doing that uh, virtually? No. Well, last year it was. This year yeah. I'll be in front of 130 students. That's fantastic. And uh, one of the things I love about the class especially, I have to it's very perverse, but most of those students are not animation students or film students. Oh, interesting. They come from every discipline you can imagine. So they're taking it as an elective type of thing. It fulfills a technical requirement to graduate, and yeah. it's an easy class. You know, my, my students don't have a lot of writing to do for it. It's really about exposing them to things that they otherwise would never see. And I, I'm, a, I, I'm imagining that you, you, a class that you would teach on the, uh, on the history of animation is not going to be showing uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse cartoons. I think I showed three Disney films and two Warners out okay. of nearly 200 films. Right. It's that's not to say that, that there aren't a lot of great films by those studios. And no, but that's a, that's a low hanging fruit. Most people are familiar with that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? You, you want to show them, uh, you want to drill into the history and show them things that they normally wouldn't have seen. Yeah. I, I, it's interesting. I was speaking with a, uh, a faculty member at university in Britain, and uh, he was talking about the Silent Vision film by Peter Folds. And I did some research on it and found out that it was actually shown on the Ed Sullivan show. And it, it, it you know how you have, you know, the, the famous uh, animation, stop motion animation where people, you know, and when they get exposed to fire or whatever, their faces, you know, melt. melt yeah. Basically, that's what happens in this film, except that it's because it's a nuclear bomb that goes, or actually a hydrogen bomb that goes off. And Ed Sullivan knew exactly what he was doing when he showed this film. He even, he even said to the parents, he said, you know, it's a cartoon. Don't worry about it. Your kids should watch this. He didn't say get the kids out of the room because people are going to be dying from a from a horrible blast. He knew what he wanted them to see. 
And it was shown in one of the most popular TV shows in America. I mean, I grew up watching Ed Sullivan every Sunday night. And then the or Disney after, before that, you know, but, uh, you know, it was, um, it was great. So th these are the kinds of films that I'm showing, you know, I'm showing the original Little Match Girl, not because I don't love the one that Roger made, Roger Allers, but the, the original one from the 20s is so unrelentingly mean to this child who appears to be only about two or three years old and is just <laughs> left to their own devices. I mean, it's just, I mean, the happiest moment in the film is when you discover that the child has actually died, you know, and it gets to go off with the angels, you know, it's just. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and in Roger's version there, there's uh, three, three, I think three, maybe four different endings yeah, uh, to, yeah. to the film. Uh, 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 leading up to the final version that was that was put out to the public, um, I worked on that with Roger. <laughs> um, you know, but it, it's I think it's important to see films as independent voices of creative people who are trying to paint a picture of something in the world that's important to them. Right. Right. So, so yeah, I continued doing the show shows as the same. We're just about to start opening probably in May at art house theaters. So if you go look at our webpage, animationshowshows.org or our Facebook or better yet, our YouTube uh, page, you can see some of the shorts that have been in recent shows. And, uh, and if you subscribe, that would be a great thing. I'd really appreciate that. Tell us, remember where you heard it, please. We'll, we'll put that, Al John's going to put all of this onto our, uh, uh, show notes for this great. episode, which will drop, uh, on Monday, uh, the 14th. No, wait, uh, today's the 14th. It'll drop on, uh, March 21st. Excellent. So I'm, uh, every year I organize, um, I, I travel around Hollywood like Switzerland. Uh, I'm welcomed everywhere, at least with smile, what appears to be smiles on people's faces, and allowed to present at pretty much all of the studios, tech companies, and, and game companies. And, you know, it's great. So, right now, I, I have a tour for all the nominees uh, so that they can present of animated shorts, so they can present their films and, you know, Amazon and Disney and Netflix. And you'd think they'd actually have met them all. And most of them have met some or all of them, but not when they were nominees. There's a big difference between being a nominee and not being a nominee. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And, and, and tell us about WonderCon. You know, I was invited uh, seven years ago or six, six years ago to present at WonderCon the 17th annual animation show shows. And I said, absolutely, and uh, got a huge reaction to it. And it has grown and grown and grown. Uh, and same with Comic-Con. And they generally put me in Hall H, which is the large room. So WonderCon will have 3,000 people. And Comic-Con provided their back in regular, ordinary fashion. That would be 6,500 people. And it's great to present to that many people because most of the people who are coming to see the program in the room that I am, they camp out. So they, they tolerate my program, but they generally love it. You know, they're waiting for, you know, the next Harry Potter or the next Star Wars or, you know, or the next Marvel movie to see, to see the actors from it doing something, having some kind of technological experience. Instead, I'm, show, I'm showing them yeah. hand-drawn animation. And, and Wonder, WonderCon is, uh, is a kind of a, com a competitor to Comic-Con? Uh, baby sister. 
It's the same company, same uh, same organization. Okay. It comes in the springtime, and and Comic Con comes in the summertime. Okay, got it. And it's uh, this one is in Anaheim, so it's a lot closer drive for me from Los Angeles. Sure. And um, and Comic Con, of course, is in San Diego, and uh, you know there are places where people sell things. You know, I've I've, I've you know you run into people. I mean, of course. I'd, I'd run into Matt Groening at Comic Con. I'd run into Eric Goldberg. I'd see, you know, Brian Froud yeah. at Comic Con. You know, it's you just never know. You got to have your eyes open who you're sure. standing next to. You know, as you're flipping through the 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 books, you know, the the boxes of comic books, you realize, oh my goodness. You know what? I think I love those those cons, especially WonderCon. I have a lot of friends that go out there uh, on the West Coast. Is that artists are so accessible so you're a big fan of of these independent artists what i call independent rock artists right because it's like indie rock i love you know i love that term but uh they can go up and and get some of their work and talk to them about their films which is super cool so yeah it's a great opportunity for people to meet these rock stars of independent independent films so well if you come uh, to uh, WonderCon, and you mentioned to me that you uh, have seen me on the show today. I'll give you a present. Oh, okay. Nice. I, I will bring. Are you I'll telling that to our room, entire audience? Our your entire, entire audience. audience, whoever shows up in the room when I'm presenting, if you're there and you say, "I saw you, saw you on Skull Rock." I will have a, a small present for you. It's not going to break the bank, but it'll be something that you'll be delighted to have. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, that, that's very kind of you. And we're, we're going to make sure we mention that in the show notes. Please do. Yeah. yeah. Tell them you heard it first on Skull Rock Podcast. You, 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 right. you well, well, Ron, it, it was such a pleasure having you on the Skull Rock Podcast and catching up. Uh, I, uh, I'm just thrilled that we got you in uh, before WandaCon and uh, a chance to talk about the animation show of shows. Well, thank you very much. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you a little bit about my life experience. And uh, it's... Uh, I have to say, animation is a fantastic business to work in. The people are, they know what they're doing. I've worked in film, live film and animation. And in, I always say in live film, it's who you know. In animation, it's what you can do. Yeah. And, you know, you can't survive unless you can do it. And That's it, right. It's Absolutely. really great business. Wonderful people. It's been good to me. <laughs> and it's been good to you. Yeah. I'm not complaining. Not yeah. complaining. Well, we look forward to having you back on the show uh, next year uh, to talk about next year's uh, show of shows and all the wonderful animation going on. Well, I would be delighted anytime. If you need me for a little bit, I'll come for a little bit. If you need me for the whole show, I'll be there for the whole show. Let me know. We're, we're always going to have you back. Thank you very much, Ron. Dave, thanks, Al John. Your attention, please. <laughs> now loading on track number one. For a trip around Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Skull Rock Podcast. All aboard. Your Main Street to the world of Disney. The animation show of shows, Dave. Uh, I am looking forward to checking out more independent shorts, animation shorts, um, and definitely looking forward to having him back on the show to discuss all of his life and times uh, producing and putting together these shows. 
Yeah, and you know he, he's such a nice guy. He he has been part of the animation business for decades, and I always enjoy running into him at screenings and just you know chatting with him. He's so knowledgeable about the independent uh, animation end of the industry, uh, where people are laboring over you know very personal uh, shorts, uh, animated shorts in a variety of techniques. So. Uh, it's just fascinating to chat with him uh, when I do run into him. And uh, I'm just so glad we had him on the show. And I, I, I kind of view Ron as one of those guests that we're going to have back annually uh, this time of year leading into the award season uh, to talk about the independent films. Yeah, 100%. I, I think it's great. Yeah. You know, we shine a light on those type of works. And for you all listening to the show, seek them out check them out let us know what you feel what you think about any of the shorts that we mentioned here today in our comments on our social media facebook twitter and instagram and don't forget to check out our entire catalog our backlog if you will in the show archive there at skullrockpodcast.com available everywhere you find podcasts and give us those five-star reviews if you think we deserve it we do appreciate it uh we're also on anchor.fm that is our home. We also have our syndication partners there at Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com, celebrating 20 years of streaming to all the Disney fans out there, all this great content. You can also email us. We do welcome emails. We'd love to hear from you. Dave at SkullRockPodcast.com or Aljon at SkullRockPodcast.com. And another quick plug there for Dave's new book, The Indiegogo Campaign, as we talked about earlier in the show, is live and you can get and pre-order the book with so many great perks if you decide to uh, to keep on supporting the Indiegogo campaign. House of the Future book, just look that up over there on Indiegogo. And Dave, you've got the final word. Well, Al John, thank you very much. And uh, as always, peace and love to all of you out there in podcast land. Uh, go out and have a great week. We're, we're going to be heading into spring. Uh, by the time you listen to this, we may very well already be in spring. Uh, and we will we will look forward to having you back next week right here on the Skull Rock Podcast. I'm Al John Go, co-host of the Disney List Podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock Podcast, here with my wife Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves well i can do all of the legwork for them i have expertise i've been to the disney parks well over a hundred times so they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next disney cruise Disney Park Trip, Adventures by Disney. They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host the Disney List Podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. 
can even stream us on Source Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, The Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com. <laughs>